want to welcome you again if you're visiting for the first time. Uh, we're glad to have you at Glad Tidings. And this really is a special Sunday for you to be here. Um, you're going to get an opportunity to see uh, just how some of the people in Glad Tidings, how they love the Lord, how they love their city. At the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity just to come and to bring a special offering here and to lay that in the basket before we head out and, and move into the summer. And again, if you're visiting, we don't expect you to do that, but we hope that you'll see God's people just showing their love for the Lord in a, in a very tangible way. Well, these last few weeks we've been talking about um, how we can make an impact with our lives, how we can do that as individuals, how we can do that as a family, our, our biological families, how we can do that, of course, as a church family. And what we talked about was the fact that we make an impact on our world uh, when we understand a few foundational things, a few foundational things that really have to do with our lives making an impact. Uh, the first one, as we showed on this little diagram we have here, is to believe. Because what you believe essentially influences your behavior. We also talked about the need to belong because though the Lord can use us in wonderful ways individually, it doesn't compare to what he can do impact-wise through us corporately, collectively, as a group, as a congregation, whatever it may be. And the third one we're going to talk about this morning has to do with blessing, partnering with God in what he has given us and the reason for which he has given us those things. Now, before we um, talk about blessing, for the sake of those of you who weren't here the last two weeks, uh, or this, for the sake of those of you who were here but weren't paying attention, I just want to quickly review what it means to believe and to belong. Um, as I mentioned, believing is really foundational to our faith more than we realize because regardless of what we say we believe, if it doesn't influence our behavior, do we really believe it, right? Unless our beliefs, our behavior rather, imitates what we profess we believe, we probably don't really believe it. We, we just maybe ascribe to it or maybe agree with it, but we don't really believe it ourselves. Uh, we also talked about how it's important that we, that we belong. Now, as far as believing goes, there are two things that are foundational that we need to believe if we are going to make an impact as the people of God, wherever we may be. The first thing is we have to come to a point of understanding and believing that there is a God whom we believe in, and this God has made everything. If I really, really believe that, then I understand that everything I am, everything I have, I am a steward of this. That God has made all these things, he has entrusted things to my life, and everything, as the scripture says, is going to return to him. And we are also going to return to him and give an account for how we've lived the life that he's given to us. If I really believe, then I believe there's a God who has made everything. The second thing I believe is that there is a Jesus who died for everyone. Do we believe that? Because if we really do believe that, then we understand we have a story to tell. And if we really understand that we have a story to tell the world today, then that's going to impact and influence the way that I live my life and the priorities in my life. Uh, last time we looked at the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 in which Paul says that Jesus Christ died for all so that those who live would not continue to live what? For themselves. He died for them and was raised from the dead. He's speaking about us so that they would live for him. To believe in Jesus Christ is not just to add him onto my life. It's not just to have him there for when I need him. Honestly, to believe in Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, to really understand what he has done for me is to live my life according to his agenda, not my own. If I really believe that Jesus died for me, rescued me, gave me new life, then my first question is going to be, Lord, why? What do you, what do you have for me? How would you have me live my life? And so it begins with what we believe. And then we talked about belonging, and of course, that has to do with expanding our ability to have an impact doing much more together than any of us can do just by ourselves. We looked at how the church in the Bible oftentimes is compared to a physical body. Paul uses that analogy. It's just like my own physical body here. If I'm, if I'm standing here, uh, there's only so much I can do. There's only so far that I can reach. As far as the circumference of my, my arms, my reach, then there's things I can touch, there's some things I can do. In the same way, the Bible says we are the extension of Jesus. We are him in this world, the Bible says. So what that means is that though Jesus is everywhere by his Holy Spirit, he can only be in a tangible way wherever you are. And so I understand that when I'm part of the body, I'm not just part of a people who come together on Sunday for church. 
I'm part of a people who understand that I don't come to church on Sunday just for inspiration. That's not a bad thing. But I come to refuel. That's really why I'm here. I come to be poured in again. I come to, to gain perspective again. I come to be challenged. I come to minister because then I go out, and rather than there just being one person in whom Jesus is living, there are hundreds, and through all the churches, there are literally thousands of people who are Jesus wherever they go. You see, because Jesus can't physically be everywhere at one time in that sense, what he, what he trusts on is the fact that everywhere we go, that we are him where we are. And that, isn't that an incredible plan? That's why Jesus said, and the disciples said, oh, Lord, don't leave, and we've seen all the things that you do and who you are. Nobody's like you. Nobody taught like you. And, of course, they didn't understand any more than we would have, but Jesus basically said, no, guys, you don't get it. This is going to blow your mind because unless I go, there's just going to be me and a few of you helping me. But if I go, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will be in you. He will be Jesus. He will be me in you. And greater things will you do than I have done because the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, we read that sometimes and think, oh, I don't you know, recall many Christians today walking on water, whatever the miracle may be. When Jesus talked about greater, he meant volume. Greater things will be done. It will be exponentially multiplied through all of you. Hundreds of people, thousands of people around the world being Jesus wherever they are. So it's so important that we understand that we are part of the body and that's how the Lord wants us to function. And why it's so important for us to belong to a body of believers is because we understand that the Lord has created us with, as, with a combination of, a, of different gifts, different personalities, different abilities, different interests. And the sad thing is, and one of the measures of our immaturity is that we allow our differences to cause friction and to actually separate us from each other. That's how the world spirit works. But when you really get the incredible diversity and power contained within the body, because we are diverse, then God is able to release this, this incredible organism called the body of Christ throughout the city in different ways, but also amazing things he can do through us together because we all bring something to the body that somebody else doesn't have. For example, in the physical body, we have eyes. Now, the eye is not just an organism, you know, in your body. That's not all it is. It's a wonder of science. Have you ever studied the eye, ever Googled, ever, you know, looked into what really is involved in the eye? It's a marvel of creation. In the same way, we take our, our fingers and our toes and maybe don't think a whole lot about them until you lose one. You ever break a thumb or sprain a thumb and all of a sudden you realize all the things you took for granted that you used to be able to do? You know, your baby finger, right? You break it, what do you do? You know, there's just things you can't do anymore, but you don't realize that until something's taken away that you're used to having. Uh, the same goes with any other part of your body, whatever it may be, your tongue. We don't think a whole lot about our tongue. It just kind of sits in our mouth. But do you realize your tongue is there for tasting? Your tongue is there for chewing? It's your tongue that helps you swallow your food? It's your tongue, of course, that helps you to speak. So there's things that don't look that fancy, don't look that important, but let them be removed, and you realize how incredible, incredibly valued they are. The reason I mention those things is because I want you to understand this. You are all part of the body of Christ. And just as God miraculously and with such complexity and wonder created those parts of the body that I mentioned to you, you are the same to him. When Christ looks at you, he sees you in all of your wonderment. He sees you in your uniqueness. He sees you in the complexity of who you are and how he's made you and all the things that you bring. You may not see those things. And other people might look at you and think that you're rather ordinary. But God is saying, if you would just allow me to reveal to you who you are and release through you what I can do, you would be amazed at how beautiful and important you are. And so we've got to stop believing the devil and, and either trying to be like other people or feel that we're not good enough because we aren't like other people. And we need to say, Lord, why did you make me me? What is unique about me? What is different from me? And if you'll allow him to speak to you and get into the word, allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, you will, like David, say, Lord, I praise you because I am wonderfully made. He wasn't egotistical. It was just, wow, wow, God. I just want to give everything I am to you. And so you understand that when you actually begin to belong. 
I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, something from the Spirit can be seen in each person. For what? For yourself? No, he doesn't say, stand in the mirror and just behold how wonderful you are. For the common good. For what God has in mind for his body to be. When you and I don't participate in the church, when we don't participate in the body of Christ, I want us to understand, my friends, we cripple the body of Christ in our city. Something is missing. It's lacking. We belong because we understand how God has uniquely placed us in the body. We also belong because in belonging, we find encouragement, and we find support, and we find accountability for us to have an impact. You ever been with a group of people and heard somebody just say something God's doing in their life? Or just say maybe, you know, something God has shown them or some way God has used them? Don't get nervous, Nancy. I'm not going to pick you out of the crowd. This is Nancy, by the way. I think the effects of the tub are hitting me. But when you're in a setting like that, when you're with other believers and you hear some testimonies, what happens? The Lord doesn't condemn you, but he stirs you. And you think, ah, I want that too. I want the Lord to use me that way. I, I want that experience too, whatever. So we need that, as the scripture says, to spur each other on to good works. So that we're not just sitting back. Not because God is saying, hey, you're in the family business, get to work. Stop slacking. No. He's saying, I want you to experience the joy of my spirit flowing through you. I want to give you testimonies. I want to show you that I'm real and I'm real through you. So we come to this actual application this morning of what we believe and why we belong, and that is to bless. The whole idea of blessing in the Bible essentially goes back, you may recall, to the time of Abraham and Sarah. His name was Abram when he and Sarah first got married. His name was later changed to Abraham. But God called Abram and Sarah out of the land in which they were living to say, I want you to leave all of this. I want you to go to the place that I have for you, and I want to use you to bless the nations around the world. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, the problem was, at that time, they were already quite old. Physically, they were old, and as they got to the promised land, they were even older, and uh, it was impossible physically for them to have a child. And yet, the Bible says that in Genesis 17, God blessed Sarah's womb, and she became pregnant with a child. Now, what does it mean to bless? In a nutshell, I, mean, I believe it means simply the touch of God. To bless, for God to bless me, is his touch in his life. The word actually is, has to do with his presence that God blesses me, and when God blesses you, there comes a marked change in your life. He touches you, and, and that changes your life. That's what it means to, to be blessed. But there's also this incredible power in being a blessing and learning to bless as his people. Uh, back in the early church, when the church came under great persecution, uh, many Christians were wise enough to kind of guard their words, their you know, vocalizing their faith. They didn't want to invite persecution. They weren't ashamed to stand for the Lord, but they didn't want to take a beating unnecessarily. And so sometimes they would find themselves in a, in a public setting or in a group of people, and they might have a sense that somebody in that group was a believer as well. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? I wonder if that person knows the Lord too. And so just to be safe, what they would do is either with their hand in some way or maybe with their foot in the dust, they would just draw an arc, just a line like that on the ground, or whatever it may be. And if a person in the group was a believer, they would see that, understand what it was about, and they too would draw another arc underneath to form a picture of what is called an ictus. An ictus is just a Greek word for a fish. And that was a symbol, one of the symbols for believers if they came across other people and they wanted to know whether or not they were a believer. That way they could connect later, have some fellowship, encouragement, whatever the case may be. Has that ever happened to you? You know, you've been in the setting, maybe somebody new comes to the workplace, or you're just out somewhere, there's a group of people, and you just kind of get this sense. I wonder if that, you know, you may just feel it or something they say, whatever the case may be, and, and, and you, you're just kind of encouraged by the fact that, uh, that maybe they are a believer as well. Uh, and by the way, you can't tell anymore if somebody's wearing a cross. That doesn't work. <laughs> I've seen some pretty bad people wearing the crosses. It's a nice piece of jewelry. It doesn't tend to mean a whole lot for a lot of people anymore. But I remember we were down in the States there a couple of months ago. We went to a restaurant, and uh, as we were on the way out of the restaurant, the, uh, the man behind the counter, he showed it after us. He said, have a blessed day. And, and all of a sudden, your ears go up. That catches your attention. You make that connection because of that word blessed. There's something powerful about the word bless. 
And the reason it's powerful, I believe, is because it contains within it the idea of God touching us. And to have a real impact in our city, a real impact in the world in which we live, we are called to believe in that God. We're called to belong to his family, but it doesn't stop there. We need to also be a people who extend that same touch of God to other people. And that's a powerful truth. Because I want us to understand this morning that this is not about us doing things for God. That's not what blessing is. That's not what ministry is. That's not what Christianity is. That's, that's rules. That's religiousness. It's not about us doing things for God. It is about us allowing God to anoint us and to touch people through us with nothing less than his touch. You see the difference? This is not about us saying, okay, oh, I got this Christian life thing figured out. Here's the things I can do. Here's the things I can't do. Here's the things I guess I should do, even though I don't feel like it, so I guess I'll do it. It's not about doing stuff. It's about saying, Lord, you have called me. You have chosen me. You have blessed me. You dwell within me. Lord, use me today in a way that you would flow through me. I just don't want to be involved in empty conversations, Lord. I pray for you to speak through me. I don't want to say just empty prayers. I pray for your anointing that you would touch people through me. You have that happen? We've all had those conversations with individuals. We're in a small circle around the water cooler somewhere else. You're not just talking, but as you're speaking, you can sense the Holy Spirit just move in. And what's really cool is when you're talking to the person, or maybe you have an opportunity to pray with them, what's really cool is when you see them experience the Holy Spirit. They don't even know what's going on. They just, I felt something. What was that? Can't tell you, it's a secret. That's called being secret sensitive. No. But, but, but that's what the Lord wants to do through us. So it's not just about doing things for him. So what we're talking about today is the fact that we have been blessed so we can pass it on. God has blessed us so we can know the joy of blessing others. You see, there's a, there's a false gospel out there in the North American culture that's really been embraced by our culture in the church, and we're all very familiar with it. But basically what it believes is that uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's really about me. It, it means that Jesus has forgiven my sins. It's about Jesus uh, healing my hurts. It's about Jesus promising to, to take care of my needs and to fulfill my agenda. That's not what you read when you get into the Word of God. What you do find in the Word of God is that we have been blessed, we have been touched for one reason so that we can touch others, that we can share it, that we can be used by God with the resources we have to actually bring people to God. Go back to the idea of, of Abraham. The Lord said to him in Genesis chapter 12, he said, Abraham, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family. In other words, leave everything. I want your pockets empty because I want you to see that everything I do in your life, it's me. You didn't bring it with you, it's me. Everything I do through your life, it's going to be from me. And he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make you famous. Oh, thank you, Lord. Some folks take that script and just run with it. I'm going to make you famous because it's all about you. No, you can't stop there. And you will read it with me. Be a blessing to others. I'm going to make you famous so you can be a blessing. We are intoxicated with celebrity in our culture. Let me tell you something, friends. That doesn't translate to the church. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. In our culture, we will make you famous. We will make you a celebrity. We'll make lots of money off you. We will make you a celebrity. And what happens? Eventually, that star fades. Oftentimes, that life is ruined. That marriage is ruined. That family, that person is destroyed. I've seen it many times over the years as celebrities have come to Christ who have actually had an honest conversion, I believe, have been very sincere in, in believing in, in Christ. But what happened? The church who buys into celebrity gets them to minister right away, gets them to speak, gets them to travel before they're grounded. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire. I don't care if you're Katy Perry, whoever you may be. When you first come to Christ, you need a couple years to do nothing else than just full chairs. That's what you do. You just hang around for a while and see how it's done. You hang around for a while and see how the kingdom of God works. You go ahead and work in the nursery for a couple of years. You do this, you do that. You begin to grow in the character of Christ. 
But because we as the church oftentimes are intoxicated with celebrity, they come and many times their faith is quickly shipwrecked and they're back into the culture because they realize, hey, this didn't work for me. They didn't understand it's not the same system here. Jesus, everything he does for us and gives us is that it might be a blessing to others. Now, I want us to understand when God said that to Abraham, it wasn't an afterthought. It was the very reason for which God called Abraham. God didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make you famous. What he meant by that is I'm going to give you a platform. And by the way, Abraham, if you happen to have some left over or if you've got some time, if you're not too caught up, you've got nothing else to do, then maybe you can get involved a little bit of something I'm doing here, something bigger than yourself. God didn't say that. God said he would bless Abraham. He would give him that platform. Why? So he will be a blessing to others. And friends, every single one of us here this morning, God has given us a platform. It doesn't matter who you are. I want you to know this is not my platform. I stand on this platform only so you can see me because I'm short. If I was down here, you wouldn't see me well. That's why I'm up here. That's it. My platform is when I'm walking in the streets. My platform is when I'm at the grocery store. My platform is when I have an opportunity to pray with the lady at Tim Hortons through the drive-thru. My platform is when I step up and I'm reminded that God has given me certain things so when I come to a person or place of need, I can say, hey, it's okay. I've created margin in my life. I've created space in my life for the Holy Spirit to work and what he's given to me, I'm so glad to give to you. You need some money, here you go. Need some of my time, here you go. Need some prayer, here you go. And I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I chicken out. Sometimes I'm a coward, and it doesn't happen. But a lot of times I thank the Lord that when I step out, what happens? That person senses the Holy Spirit. They sense that God is real. And you know what? That's worth more than anything I could have or do it physically in a, in a tangible or financial way. When Jesus called the disciples, some of them, they were fishing, the Bible says, and Jesus said that they were to leave him, leave them rather fishing fish. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say, hey, come follow me, leave what you're doing. You're going to see me do some pretty spectacular things. You want to have fun? Come follow me. I'm going to blow your mind. No. Jesus said, come follow me. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to model some things for you. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you out. And you're going to do what I do. I'm going to send you out. That was the reason for the invitation. It wasn't an afterthought. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, in Christ Jesus, he made us, read it with me, to do good works. Now think about that. That's why you're here. That's why the Lord has saved you. I mean, he saved you because he loved you. But he loves you enough to engage you in the work of the kingdom. Now, I got to tell you, I have a hard time, and my, my boys will probably, you know, nod with me in agreement. I'm not going to embarrass them. This, it's okay, guys. I really have a hard time letting my boys do things on their own. They're incredibly competent boys, young men now. But as a father, as a parent, don't you kind of always, you want to do it? You want to do it for them? You, you want to help them? You want to, whatever the case may be, and they don't ask for it. But, you know, as a parent, you love your, your children, and so you want to, as best you can, help them to avoid any mistakes you've made or, or experiences some of the pressures that you experience, some of the pitfalls. So you always want to come alongside, and you want to help. And the Lord does that for us, too, but he's also perfectly wise, so he knows the times when we also need to learn. We, we need to go through some things. We need to endure some things in order that we actually grow in maturity ourselves. And so he says, I have saved you from your sin, but I've also saved you for good works. I want you to get involved in what I'm doing because I really want you to experience what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. And he says this, which God has planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. So he says, there's a culture in which you live that has an agenda for you. I've also got an agenda for you. This agenda from, this, from your culture it will take your time, it'll take your money, it'll take your attention, it'll get you through life, it'll make your weeks go by fast, it'll blow through the weekend, year by year by year, it'll get you through life kind of thing. But the life that I have for you will involve some of these practical things you got to do, but there'll be a whole lot of other things that will actually give you a life while you're living. These things won't give you a life, they just get you through life. I will give you a life an abundant life in the midst of the things that you ordinarily have to do. I've got a lot of good works planned for you. Uh, Peter goes so far as to say this in 1 Peter 3. All of you should be in agreement 
understanding each other, loving each other as a family, being kind and humble. Do not do wrong to repay a wrong. Do not insult to repay an insult, but repay with a blessing because you yourselves were called to do this so that you might receive a blessing. Peter says, listen, if you're the people of God, you're not to act like everybody else acts. When insult comes your way, when injury comes your way, you're not to respond in the same spirit. You are to bless. Now, how in the world do you bless when, you, when wrong's been done to you? You bless when you understand how much you've been blessed. And it is out of gratitude for God's blessing in your life, for God's grace in your life, that you're actually able to give a blessing. I really believe that there's a very real sense that we miss out as Christians on what salvation is really all about when we are not a channel of blessing from God to others. I can promise you, if you're not a channel of blessing, your faith will get pretty stale over time, and you may even walk away from what you think is the Christian faith, but it, but it really isn't. For example, in the light of, of some of the recent and, and just non-continuous you know, uh, terrorist attacks, we, we have this illustration in front of us of this world religion that has gone wrong. And it stands in striking contrast to the Christian faith that does not exchange evil for evil. But what do we do? We extend grace. Because we understand that whatever comes our way, we have a God who has forgiven us so much, who has rescued us, who has done so much for us that our hearts are humbled. And all we can do is respond out of the grace that we have received. And in fact, even those who are outside of our faith, they are not our enemies. They are people whom God loves and has called us to reach and to bless with his touch. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and God give you and God can give you more blessings than you need, then you will always have plenty of everything, enough to what? To give to every good work. Now, a lot of you here aren't old enough to remember this program, but back in the late 50s, early 60s, back when we had black and white TVs, there was a program called The Millionaire. Anybody remember that? The Millionaire. There, there you go, there you go. Being honest, kind of go, yeah. Well, the Millionaire was this wonderful show about this very wealthy man by the name of John Beersford Tufton. And, and he had uh, an assistant, Michael Anthony. And once a week, at least that's when the show aired, Michael Anthony would come into his office. You would never see uh, uh, John Tipper because he, he had a big armchair and you just see kind of the back of his head or whatever. He'd be talking to Michael Anthony. And every week he would have an envelope with a million-dollar check. And he would give that envelope to Michael Anthony to take to somebody either a family or an individual, somebody whom he had heard has a need, somebody well-deserving uh, in the sense that it's going to change their life, somebody's going to really impact, somebody had a great need, and a lot of times people who were, who were doing some good things, whatever, wonderful story, that's what it was built on. Now, I can remember as a child watching that show, and I can imagine for a lot of people who watched that show, they probably thought, I would love to be on the receiving end of that million-dollar check. Now, we're talking 50 years ago. That's a million bucks. That's like... 100 million today. I don't know what the exchange is. But it's a whole, you know, I think back then we bought a house for like $7,000, $10,000. So you do the math. So a million dollars. And people would think, oh, well, I'd just love to get a million dollars. But I can honestly remember as a child, I can remember watching that program, and my only thought was this I would love to be Michael Anthony. I would love to be the person who had a million dollar check and got to go somebody, to somebody who was down on their luck or in a place where they were just kind of hopeless and give them that check and just see the change on their face. Just be there to witness this incredible change that would come in their life. That's what, that's what would thrill me. I thought, what a great job that would be. And I really think that's what the Bible means when it says that God can give you more blessings than you need so you'll have enough to do a lot of good things to others. I didn't get a chance to hear the announcement. I heard the applause when uh, Lyle mentioned the yard sale. Isn't that incredible? 13000 and change for junk. You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, there were some nice things there too, but every, every time the yard sale comes around each year, I always walk through the gym, walk down the hallway, in the foyer, wherever the stuff is, all laid out, the, the volunteers do an incredible amount of work. 
But every time I walk through that stuff, the thought that comes to my mind is, man, if all of this is our junk, how much stuff do we have? You ever think about that? I mean, I'm grateful for all the stuff, and it goes toward a great cause, but I think, how much stuff do we have in our homes? How much stuff do we still have? You know, how much stuff are people going to buy to replace the junk this year? And how much of the stuff we buy this year is going to be junk next year? You know, it just, it just amazes me how much stuff we have. And I believe every one of us here this morning can say that God gives us more blessings than we need. I know I've said this before, my friends, but whatever our financial status may be, and like the Apostle Paul, I can say the same. I've learned to abound. I've learned to be abased. I've lived at every kind of financial different margin, and God's been faithful and tried to apply the same principles all the time. But I wonder sometimes, with all the stuff God has given to us, do we really understand the reason he does? Because what I was going to say was that regardless of where we may be on that spectrum financially, friends, Compared to the majority of the world, we are kings. We are. We are kings. We are wealthy beyond the understanding of most people in different parts of the world today. But why does God give us more blessings than we need? He says he gives us plenty of everything. So what? We will have enough and we will take care and bless others. I believe this morning we've got a lot more to give than a million dollars. What we have to give as a children of God will change lives forever. It'll change lives forever. And some of you know what that's all about. And it doesn't just change lives in eternity. It changes the day the person opens their heart to Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. That's the business, the family business. That's why we're, that's why we're called the body, the core. That's what it is, C-O-R-P, uh, S-R-C-R-P in the Greek language, the core. It means part of a body, part of a business. It's part of a strategy the Father has. And the strategy has to do with reaching people and bringing them to him. Most of us are familiar with the Dead Sea in Israel, or at least with the analogy we often use for the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea actually is the lowest point of the earth. You may not be aware of this. It's between two mountain, the mountain range. And the Dead Sea is actually about 1,200, 1,300 feet below sea level. That's how far down it is. And it's called the Dead Sea because there's no life in it. There's no marine life. There's no plant life. And one of the reasons is is because it's just incredibly full of salt. In fact, it contains 10 times more the, the salt density than the oceans of the world. So nothing can live in it. And, and another reason why it's a dead sea mainly is because water flows in, but nothing flows out. And so you've got water from mountains and streams that are feeding into it, but the only way water ever leaves the dead sea is just through evaporation. And again, the lesson for us is very simple is that if we only receive but we seldom give, then there is a kind of death that happens in our spirit. And in fact, I'll go so far as to say this from life experience in my own life and just in many years of ministry, is that I find that it's almost impossible to be a person who ministers. I don't mean a minister, a pastor. I just mean as, as, as the people of God ministering the spirit of God. It's impossible to be a ministering person and also to be a pessimistic person, to be a critical person, to be a negative person. Really hard to do that because, you see, what happens is when you choose to be a ministering person, there comes a flow in your life. And that flow that comes from the Lord and to others around you has a way of just flushing out. Can I say crud? Probably can't say crud. Just the garbage. I just, I just said it. You're going to go say, well, I'm so glad the pastor didn't say that. I would have left the church. But you see, when you minister, when you minister grace, when you allow what the Lord has given you to flow through you, as it flows through you, what does he do? He flushes stuff out of you. So if you're kind of a cranky person, you can only stay cranky for so long because God starts flowing through you and he touches somebody or blesses somebody, you kind of go, okay, God, I'm an idiot, I know. I'm sorry about that. Let's move on. You know, but you see, if you're never a ministering person, if you're never someone through whom God blesses, then what happens is you just kind of become this pool, almost this cesspool sometimes, because there's nothing going out of you. I remember this one lady, true story. Uh, Tony Campolo told this, actually, and, and he said there was this lady who was always depressed, 
And this was back in the days, probably about 40 years ago, there wasn't as much worry about traveling together and stuff, but he was counseling her, and she was always depressed. And so he said, he was pouring rain, and he said, listen, I'll give you a ride home, but if you don't mind, I've got to stop by the hospital and see Sister So-and-so from the church. If you want to come with me, then we'll just continue on. She said, no problem, not in a hurry. So here this depressed lady gets in the car, she goes to the hospital. Long story short, just the time she spent in that hospital room by that person talking to them, later praying with them, she came away saying, Pastor, I just feel so much better. That was amazing. And the pastor said, well, that's not a problem. I'll put you on a ministry team. You can do this every week. Oh, no, pastor, I don't have time for that. (laughs) So what happens? She's probably depressed again, you know, a short time after. But it just illustrates the point when we put ourselves in a position to actually not just be blessed and consume it ourselves, but to actually be a blessing, to allow God to release through us what he's given to us. It's just amazing the joy and the life that God pours into us and just flushes a lot of that junk away. You notice in John chapter 17 when Jesus talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't say the Holy Spirit will come and he will be a lake in you. Didn't say that. What did he say? He said the Holy Spirit will be a river welling up within you and flowing from you. Life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread for food, and he will give you all the seed you need and make it grow so there will be a great harvest. Where? From your goodness. Oh, I wish God would do this. I wish God would meet that need. I wish God would change our society. I wish God would change that person in my workplace. It gives us a hard time. God says, no, no, it's going to flow from your goodness. That's where the impact is going to be. When a farmer comes to harvest time, he has grain that that he has to consume, and he has grain that he has to set aside for the next harvest. So in other words, every harvest, the farmer has a decision to make. I'm either going to consume everything I have, or I'm going to take some of that seed and I'm going to replant it for the next harvest. Friends, hear me this morning. You and I have a fundamental choice to make every single day. It's basic. It's practical. It is this. Everything God has given to me by way of the time, the 24 hours I have in the day, by the way of my finances, whatever I have flowing through my hands financially, by way of my abilities, my talents, my interests, I have a fundamental choice. I can either take all of these things and consume them myself, or I can use what God has given to meet my need, and I can use the overflow to meet the needs of others and to be a blessing and to be a part of the work of his kingdom. You see, if the farmer eats all of his seed, you know what's going to happen? He'll never eat again. Think about that. He won't eat anymore. But if he makes the choice to plant the seed, it multiplies. And if it multiplies, not only does he eat, but who eats? Everybody. Everybody in his family, everybody that he gives it to. Paul said, God will give you all the seed you need and make it grow so there will be a great harvest from your goodness. Notice this in the word of God. God's promise to multiply your seed, God's promise to give to you is so that you will plant, that you will invest. God never promises to give you anything just for your own consumption. In fact, wasn't that the issue with James? What did James say? He said, you ask God over and over and over again for things, and he doesn't answer your prayer. You know why? Because God knows the only reason you're asking is so that you can consume it. And he says, that's not how the kingdom works. If you operate that way with your children, you spoil them and you ruin them. But if you learn to teach your children to share, if you learn to teach them to be grateful, if you learn to take what they have and to give it away to help somebody else, if you have two of something, give it to somebody else. If you only have one of something and they need it, give it to them. God will provide for you. What happens? You are teaching them maturity. You are teaching them what it means to be part of a community, be part of a civilization of how it works best when you have people that live that way. These past few weeks, we have been talking about a particular area that has to do with blessing, that has to do with with reaching our city. 
If you're visiting this morning, we've been talking about our capital campaign that involves our expansion uh, of, a, of a, part of our, a new part of our building out back that will increase our ministry to our own people. It's also going to increase ministry and outreach that we have for our community, a number of new things that we have planned for all different ages, not to mention just multiple ministries that we want to be able to run at the same time. Well, two years ago, we first launched this. We're calling this phase two. We first launched this, uh, and we brought it to the congregation because we want to, uh, in combination with some other things we're doing, we want to be able, we'd love to be able to break ground this spring and to see that uh, part of the building uh, part of that building begin to move out there. And so we, Vanessa and I were praying about what we should do. Now, our goal is $650,000. Now, I know you're thinking, this sounds like a money pitch. Let me just say this up front. If you're new to Glad Tidings, I don't mind talking about money. It doesn't bother me at all. You know the reason I like talking about money? is because money will destroy your life if you don't use it for the kingdom of God in God's way. What I mean by that is the love of money that just has so many people in bondage. God has a use for money. Money can be a wonderful thing, but it's the love for money. And I really believe when people get upset because you talk about money, you know why they get upset? Because you're talking about their God. You hear me? You're talking about their idol. They're saying, don't touch my idol. Don't touch my God. You see, money's just a thing. That's all it is. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. And I just love the way God blesses. Don't you love it? When you come across a need, you got some money in your pocket, you say, hey, God bless you. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that exciting? Rather than just consuming it, that last thing you bought that you didn't need, then you come across a need and you can't help. God's not saying, I want your money. He's saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. And if I have your heart, then anything you've got, when I call on you, you can use it, and you can experience the incredible blessing. Anyway, that's another sermon. You can experience the blessing of just my blessing flowing through you to meet the needs of somebody else. So in any case, we're doing this expansion. It's wonderful. It's really important. The information, if you, if you need more information, we got it in the foyer. But about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we had a, we had a, a pledge Sunday, uh, and we were asked to pray about what it is that we should give toward this pro- project. And so Vanessa and I prayed about it, and we just felt the Lord lay upon our heart. And, and a large part of this was due to a, uh, I don't know if you remember in the, in the brochure, we had this little write-up on, on uh, how that can work with your taxes, because obviously you give, and we were able to get a certain credit back, and so you can kind of fact that into your giving. So we looked at that, did the math, we thought, okay, that works out well. And so we just felt impressed that we were to commit $30,000 to this campaign, which is about 5% of our total goal. So we, all I need is 21 more people. Anybody? Just raise your hand. 21 more people at 30,000, we can do it this morning. Anybody? How many love the Lord? <laughs> Two or three of you. Yeah, I've been in church long enough. In any case. So we made that commitment, and we did it gladly. One problem, however, was a year later when income tax rolled around, that formula didn't work for us. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else tried that. Um, didn't quite work for us. And so I'm kind of ashamed to say, but I've got to say, to be honest with you, I'm just going to be transparent. That I came to Vanessa and said, honey, I think we need to adjust our, our pledge. Because that was based upon the formula, and really through no fault of our own, the formula didn't work. And so really, it was twice the amount that we felt we could give, that we could afford with other obligations we have and that we have coming up. And we felt, you know, that's, that's kind of way outside of what we really feel we can give. And uh, I just love my wife because she was adamant. She said, no, <laughs> we're not changing it. <laughs> I said, okay, go get another job. We won't... <laughs> She said, no, we're going to continue. We're just going to trust God to provide that. We've made that commitment. And you see, we've walked with the Lord long enough that even though you have those bumps in the road sometimes, even though things kind of change and think, ah, what are we going to do now? I'm just trying to be real with you. I've also learned this, that when you give out of obedience to what the Lord has told you to give, he knows what's going to change. He knows our future. He knows that things are going to change or aren't going to change, good or bad, whatever, in the natural. He knows that. But he says this, I got this. I got this. I've laid it on your heart. I'll do it. Because the Lord wants us to understand something. Whenever he calls me to give to his work, whenever he calls me involved in any kind of work, whatever it may be with anything in my life, my time, my talents, my resources, whatever it may be, when he has called me to make an impact in his world, when he has called me to bless other people, he says, Paul, I want you to understand something. You're not doing it with your resources. You're doing it with my resources. It's not about what you can do. 
It's not about what you feel like doing. It's about what I want to do through you. And regardless of where your resources are, my resources are unlimited. And if I lay something on your heart, I want to do it through you. And I want to show you that I can do it. And I want to show you who your provision and who your resource is. I've learned over the years that whenever we get, God gives back so that our needs are met and we always have enough left over to plant again. And friends, hear me. It may not always be a glad tidings. He may call you to plant in the life of some relative going through a hard time. He may call you to plant in the life of a coworker who lost their job or they're going through something and he wants you to minister. But the point is this. When that begins to flow, God will give you even more to give. God says he will increase the harvest that flows from your goodness. The question is, what kind of harvest are we after? And for those who've known me long enough, you know I, the best I can, I try to live this, try to model this. But friends, we live in a culture that says this. The more you get, the more you can gather, the more you need to store up. And the more you store up, the bigger burns you get to build. Isn't that true? We need a bigger garage. We need, we need a baby barn out back. Why? Because we just got more and more stuff. And so we live in a culture that says, get all you can, gather it all up, and then just build bigger storage rooms for it. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, if you live that way, you're a fool. Because you're storing up things in this life, but you're not investing in a life that's going to last beyond this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, God will make you very rich in every way, every way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, so that you can be always, you can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. Friends, that's the reason why we do what we do as followers of Christ. It's the reason why we do what we do as a church here as Glad Tidings. It's the reason why we give freely. It's the reason why we don't consume things on ourselves, that we, we rather invest in what God has trusted. He says, your giving will cause many to give thanks to God. Isn't that what we saw this morning? We saw people on the stage doing what? Giving thanks to God. My life is different because of the ministry of God through this church. Because of the ministry through people who attend this church. My life is different. My life is changed. I'm saved. I'm set free. I'm going to heaven. I love Jesus. Because of you people. That's why I'm here. That's why we do what we do. That's why we come together. That's what it's all about. We've been talking about expansion. It's not about a building, my friends. I don't have any kids that are going to involve, enjoy the kids' ministry. I don't even have teenagers in the youth group. I don't have anything to gain from this other than believing in our mission, believing while we're here, investing, sacrificing from my life for your children and for your neighbor's children and for all the ways that God can use a simple building like this when we gather and do ministry and the Holy Spirit moves. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here, to give thanks to God. I'm going to skip those last scriptures because I'm done with this. Friends, it's not about you and me. Really, it's not even about just the people that God reaches through us. You know what all this is about? It's about people coming to Jesus so that we collectively as a family that would grow and grow can look to Jesus and say, thank you, God, that you're real. Thank you that you've touched me, that you've blessed me. Thank you that you work through me to touch and to bless others. And collectively, what do we do? We give thanks to God. It's all about him. It's all about us coming together, everything we do, to turn people's hearts and faces away from the pressures and the death all around us and to look to a God who loves them and has saved them and lift their hands and worship him. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. We're going to close our service this morning in just bringing our offering to the front of the church. And I think that's important to do, not to pick anybody out. I think it's important to do because in doing so, we're saying, Father, all I have is yours. It's all yours.
And friends, if you've been here the last few weeks, we haven't talked just about money. We, we just talk about money for practical reason because it's going to cost money to build the expansion for the ministries you want to do. But we're also coming and saying, Lord, it's all yours. The margin in my life, not just my money, it's the margin. Lord, I'm looking at things in my life and saying, I'm wasting time on this. That's, I'm going to stop doing that. That's a waste of time. There's things God's calling me to do I'm not doing because life's too busy. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start dropping this stuff out of my life. There, there's things I've been tempted to buy that I don't need. There may be even something you bought and you still got the price tag. You want to take it back to the store because you don't need it. You don't need that $50 a month commitment. You don't need that $400 a month commitment. You don't need those commitments. You need to say, Lord, thank you for the freedom in my life in these areas. Lord, I want to use that for you. I want to use my time for you. I want to use my talents for you. I want to use my finances for you. Lord, everything comes from you. Everything's going back for you. I want to give it all to you because I believe you're a God who made everything and I believe there's a Jesus who died for everyone and that's what I want to be about and that's what we're about this morning. We just, actually, I'm not going to ask you to stand yet. I'm going to ask Kristen just to play for a moment. In your pew in front of you, in case you didn't get your envelope, we've sent these to our congregation two or three times because we know we have to repeat things five or six times and because we're not all here every Sunday, not because you're not smart, but we're not all here every Sunday. So that's why, so you should have your envelope, but you may have forgot your envelope, that's okay. In front of you, you'll see that we have a card, and uh, we don't have an envelope for you, but we do have the card. And so if you forgot to bring your card with you, you feel free to just take a moment, and you can fill in that card. And what we're asking you to do again, just by way of clarification, for those of you who have already made a pledge, we're asking you in that first line just to say, here's the pledge I made. I'm sticking with it. That's what I did, my first one. We're finishing strong. We're sticking to that commitment. We're believing God to help us to, to, meet, uh, to make that uh, uh, amount, and, uh, and we're bringing it this morning. But whatever line that may qualify uh, for you, I know we have some folks away, and we do have some folks who uh, left early for vacation, and they already brought their, their gift by. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, this is not for you. You're more than welcome, but this is not for you. This, this is really for the church family here because we love the Lord, we love our city, and we believe we want to touch the city for the Lord. And so that's what that is here for. But in just a moment, we're going to stand, and we're just going to conclude the service by just coming forward and placing this in the basket. You may be here as a teenager. You may just have, a, you know, work 10 hours a week, whatever the case may be. You can still give. You may say, hey, you know what? Over three years, I'm going to give 100 bucks. That's fine. We can all do something. Doesn't matter what it is, we can all do something. We can all be a part of what God is calling us to do collectively as a family. And I think that's exciting. Is that okay? You don't mind if I talk about money a little bit? Is that okay? Yeah? Money doesn't make the world go around. God uses money. Amen? He just uses it to do tangible things we got to do. Aren't you glad to get a paycheck? If you're really spiritual, never collect it, never cash it. <laughs> Money's bad. No, it's okay when you get it, isn't it? It's even better when it flows through you. And you see God touching lives through you, through what he's given to you. And so I'm going to ask you, just take a moment if you haven't done so already. And we're going to come in just a moment. I'm going to ask Christian to play, give us a few moments. And then we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Vanessa to join me. We're in this together. Honey, would you just come as we stand here for a moment before we go to prayer? Let's just bow our hearts before the Lord. Maybe, you know, maybe you're here this morning as part of the church family. You've never made the pledge, but you just feel this morning the Holy Spirit is prompting you. I hope this morning that you'll allow the Lord to use you to be a blessing. And you'll also allow the Lord to teach you some things by way of trust and really who is the provider in your family by stepping into obedience to what he lays upon your heart. Because we have to do this together. It's going to happen. We've got to be together.